set, go! Another huge game is in the books. Start. Thomas gets the carry left side. Thomas inside, touchdown Utah. What a first drive for the Utes. Ty Jordan, Aaron Lowe, two members of this Utah football team lost to a very, very premature death in the last calendar year. And Utah just retired the number 22, first number retired in the history of this program. And on the very first play after doing that, Tavion Thomas into the end zone for a Utah touchdown. And it's hard not to think that... This team is getting an extra boost from somewhere. Bruins already two for two on fourth down in this game. They had somebody over center, and Charbonnet broke a tackle, and now breaks it out into the open. To the 10, to the 5, touchdown! What a run, Zach Charbonnet! Oh that could have been stopped for a loss. Instead, it turns into 30 yards and a Bruins touchdown. Rising throws back across his body, touchdown! Three touchdowns. Oh, the return of the tight end to college football. Thomas in the backfield gets the ball. Huge block in the backfield. Thomas. Touchdown. Emmyon Thomas's third touchdown of this first half. Second a goal from outside the five. Garbers again looking to the end zone. Zipped it in there, and this time it's caught. That's Michael Ezeki. Well, on the night that number 22 was retired forever in this Utah football program just moments ago, the uh, moment of noise, moment of celebration, as Utah likes to call it, instead of the moment of silence for Ty Jordan, for Aaron Lowe, and not just the number retired, but right near the locker room tunnel on the turf. Another tribute to those two young men. The Utah Utes start the fourth quarter inside the 15. Rising. That's the second time that's happened tonight where they paid tribute to the two young men and the very next play, Utah's in the end zone. First down, UCLA Garbers to the end zone. Touchdown, Dulcich the tight end. From the end zone, a sack and a safety. Monte Patuta just came right into the backfield and Ethan Garbers had no chance. Thomas straight in. is at zero and it's time to break down today's game this is your youth post game show on 97.5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network welcome into your utah post game show hans olson 97.5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network and hanging out on the phone with us the one and only the great former utah quarterback current great guy it's frank dolce frank how are you doing <laughs> hey man i'm uh, i'm doing just great how are you doing i'm doing really good man after that jcw's burger you know, and that shake oh yeah oh and that shake because you started <laughs> drinking shakes again apparently which is super depressing i'm watching i'm you know i'm keeping my eye on the other game that's going on in the state right now and I'm sure glad I picked the over on that uh, 82 points. <laughs> uh, yeah, in the half. I, I meant in the first half. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's what incredible. In the but, world? 
This Utah game went about the way we thought it would go. Utah getting the win, forty-four to twenty-four. I, I think that you picked it. Was it thirty-eight twenty-seven or somewhere in that I range? Think, yeah, thirty-one twenty-four. I think or thirty-one twenty. It was something like that. Thirty-one twenty-seven, maybe. Well, Utah gets the win, forty-four twenty-four. And and Frank, right out of the gates, I, I just want I want to get your thoughts on Tavian Thomas. Well, just the, the overall performance, but talk about Tavian Thomas tonight. And he he just solidified uh, the game for for Utah. It, it, it's just it's no secret. Like if Utah runs the ball well, if Utah can run the ball well, then most of the time they're going to be really successful. And this is a guy that was in the doghouse early in the season. There were times when I thought he might not ever see the field again, and he has completely turned his game around. Uh, he, I think we've always believed he was the most talented of the running backs, but just had some trouble with the ball security. And, and now it looks like uh, he, he is by far, you know, stride or two better than, than the next couple guys around. And Pledger and Bernard are very good. I like the, the, the change that those guys bring. But clearly it's Tavion Thomas's team uh, and and uh and so that's a huge thing i mean that's a huge that's a huge bonus for for utah if they like i said if they can run the ball well and he sure ran the ball well tonight then then utah is going to be successful so frank right before this game started and i, I know that you had some uh, information I, I thought that we'd seen enough from Thompson Robinson that he was going to be playing in this game. And right before this game starts, the world finds out that it's going to be Ethan Garbers was Ethan Garbers, the quarterback that showed up and gave you 145 yards on the ground in the state championship a couple of years ago in high school. <laughs> what, what were your thoughts on, on Ethan Garbers as he came in and got the start and how Utah handled him? Yeah, I think uh, I think Garbers was very good. Like I, I was pretty impressed with the way that he managed that situation. He's on the road, hostile environment, big game, first start, and he seemed a little bit unfazed. I, I, there's a telltale in that. I mean, he looked pretty he looked pretty cool, calm, and collected on the on the field. But there's a little telltale in in that. He got his team in, in trouble a couple times in that first half because he wasn't paying attention to the play clock. And the play clock ran down. UCLA had to call timeout one time and or maybe they called out called timeout twice and then he had to you know, he had to get rid of the he had to call the play quickly another time. So that's that's something. It, clearly there were some nerves there, but I think he managed it extremely well. I thought he threw the ball well. He he stood in the pocket he showed some escapability, and uh, I was very impressed by the way that he played. In fact, it, I, I mean, it's, it's really hard to say that, that you would replace Dorian Thompson-Robinson or that you bring in a freshman and maybe your offense operates a little more efficient, efficiently. But you know as well as I do, we've talked about this before, there's challenges when you have an athletic quarterback or a quarterback who, who relies on his legs um, a significant portion of the time. And, and so a guy like Garbers might provide some 
efficiency. It feels strange to say that, but some efficiency for UCLA offensively where a Dorian Thompson Robinson, he relies on his athleticism so much that, you know, sometimes that makes it difficult on an offense to, to operate efficiently. So interesting question to, to, to discuss at some point. Nonetheless, Garbers, I thought, showed really well. So one of the big numbers that we looked at coming into this game, UCLA was averaging 206 yards on the ground. We just watched Utah get out physical in the trench, pushed around, had some mental errors, out of gaps at times, but Oregon State pushed them around and they were able to move on the ground. UCLA averaging over 205 yards per game. Utah held them to 146 on the ground. Talk about what you saw from Utah defensively going against that run. They were much better tonight. Uh, I thought they were much more in control of the line of scrimmage. Uh, They did not allow uh, Charbonnet. They did not allow Brown very often to to get through the line of scrimmage and into the second level. Now, now UCLA did, and there were times in the game where you just thought, oh, man, how come Utah is so soft against the run? You, you have to give a little credit to UCLA because they run the ball really well. But, but at the and, and by the way, Charbonnet averaged almost six yards a carry. I mean, and, and Brown was, was almost five yards a carry. Those are, those are good numbers. But, but overall, it was a tremendous effort for Utah to hold this team under 150 yards. I thought going into this, that would have to be the number. They would have to hold UCLA under 150 yards if they wanted to give themselves a chance to win the game. So uh, I thought they cleaned it up. I I don't think UCLA is as talented running the football as Oregon State. So, um, but But I do think Utah made some headway, made some strides, made some improvements in stopping the run game and being more physical at the line of scrimmage. You're listening to Frank Dolce here on the Utah Post Game Show, 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Utah getting the win 44-24 to and doing a lot of things extremely well. Now controlling their destiny in the Pac-12 South. We'll talk a little bit more about that coming up here in just a minute. But Cameron Rising, he ended up 17 of 27 for 180 yards and a touchdown through the air. But more importantly, what he did on the ground as the second leading rusher, averaging 10 Mm -hmm. and a half yards per carry, 63 yards, and that touchdown that he had right up the middle off the zone, off that keep, that quick dive. Actually, I I don't know if – I can't remember if it was a a zone read or if it was just a quick dive, but he had a beautiful 14-yard run for a touchdown. Uh, talk about Cameron rising, both in the passing game, but almost more importantly, the, the near 70 yards that he put up on the ground for Utah. Yeah, really, same, same. I mean, it, it seems like a broken record, but each week it feels like um, he's, just, he's just improving bit by bit. And, and the accuracy on his throws, I mean, I, I, I guess if you're being nitpicky, you could say, well, he could be a little more accurate on his throw. I, I, I think that's kind of nitpicky, though. Like, he's, he's really good throwing the ball downfield. I like the way that he operates in the pocket. I think he's, he's a quarterback that helps his offensive line, the way that he manages 
the pocket. You know, he doesn't he doesn't get too he, he doesn't get flustered. He doesn't dance around. He kind of stays steady in the pocket until he decides to go, and then he goes. It's like you know, it's I think it's advantageous to his offensive line the way that he plays from the pocket. And then when he decides to run, and he did that several times tonight, it's it always seems like the right time, a good decision, and positive yardage. So, and and then and then play calling tonight um, gave him the opportunity to run the ball a few times, and he was as as you just mentioned all of his numbers extremely effective. So, this I mean it's just it, it seems like. Whatever, whatever Coach Ludwig, offensive coordinator, is trying to accomplish, he has the right accomplice in Cam Rising. Like they are, they seem to be communicating really well. What what Coach Ludwig is trying to get done on the field, Cam Rising seems to be the guy that can can make that happen. Coming out of this game, Brant Keithy is your leading receiver. Five catches for 63 yards. Devon Vele, three catches for 44 yards. Britton Covey, three catches for 26. And Dalton Kincaid, three catches for 25. 180 yards through the air and a touchdown through the air. But where the where the money was really made was Tavian Thomas and and the ground game for the University of Utah. And as you mentioned, Frank, that really is their bread and butter. When that's clicking, everything is different for the University of Utah right now. There's no question about it. No question about it at all. It felt like Utah wanted to be more of a pass-heavy team early in the season. It it felt like they were going to try and give that a shot. Uh, and maybe it was because they they weren't getting the productivity they were hoping for out of the the, the backfield, or they they hadn't identified the guy they thought could carry carry the ball 25, 30 times a game and, and get them the productivity. So they were going to rely on the passing game a little bit more. Um, I, I don't know what it, whatever the case is. It just it it seems like it feels like, and I think it's it's clear that when when Utah is pushing people around at the line of scrimmage and. You have a running back who is running with purpose and with uh, with the aggressiveness that that Tavion Thomas dem- demonstrated tonight. Then it it just makes everything else open up. Now all of a sudden, defensive line linebackers are collapsing at the line of scrimmage. Play action pass opens up. You can't focus on the quarterback so much. Cam Rising could use his legs. He can roll out and find somebody downfield. He's not taking so much pressure up front. So to me, it's the foundation like this, this, this Utah team doesn't operate without that. doesn't operate as well. I should say without that, that run game tonight, 290 yards on the ground. I mean, that's a tremendous effort. Really incredible effort, really incredible effort from the university of Utah. So Frank, as you know, I was pulling double duty tonight, trying to watch both BYU and Utah games as they're (laughs) playing at the same time. So I'm yeah. My my brain is spinning quite a bit with a lot of different thoughts, especially <laughs> as wild as that other game's going, and and it's about over. But when I would watch the University of Utah, I'd flip over and I'm watching Cameron Rising's attempts. I didn't see an overabundance of pressure. I didn't see at least not when I tuned in. I didn't see it. Did you see Utah's offensive line showing some consistency in in setting a pocket? 
Oh yeah, I I thought uh, I thought offensively it was clean. Like uh, Cam Cam Rising had had time to operate. Um, and I, the other thing, I, like, like I said earlier, he, 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 he manages that really well. So the ability to, to make his reads, get through his progression and get rid of the ball on time. Uh, I think he manages that so well that, that his, his offensive line benefits. So I, there were, there were a few, it happens, you know, every game he, there were a few pressures. He scrambled around a little bit, but it wasn't, it wasn't something where you were scratching your head and just thinking, why is Cam Rising running around? He doesn't have time to operate. doesn't have time to make his reads downfield. It didn't feel like that at all. There were a few pressures here and there. For the most part, it felt like he was operating from a clean pocket. And, and I thought his offensive line once again um, demonstrated they, they have taken strides forward. This is an offensive line that was – we we were not very confident about this offensive line early in the season, and I think uh, this this is probably on everyone on the offensive side. I would say the offensive line is the most improved group at this point in the season. I know Utah fans are piling out of Rice Eccles Stadium. Uh, obviously, showed up in in force, and I'm sure had a fantastic Halloween night there in the stadium, and it was a great win. A very solid performance across the board. No turnovers. You won the turnover battle. You played a pretty clean game, only five flags on the night. You won the time of possession. You you won the ground game. And overall, it was just a really solid football night. But, Frank, there was something even more incredible. And, you know, I'd be interested to know as as you've got 40-some-odd thousand people that are flooding out of that stadium how incredible that tribute was as they retired the first number in Utah history. Were you guys aware of that when you were playing there or as you've been a broadcaster and been a part of this university for so long, were you aware that there had never been a number retired? It's not clear. I mean, it's not evident in the stadium. You just don't notice it. And, and so, um, and so to hear that today, uh, to hear that a number had never been retired, um, then you look back and you think, wow, that is something that's, that is very interesting about this football program and about this team. So, but, but uh, I think, you know, th- this particular number, these two particular guys who wore the number, uh, I think that just makes, it makes perfect sense for, for lots of reasons to now have that number hanging from the, from the side of the stadium as it does and, and to have, uh, and to have those two guys honored. I thought it was interesting that the, uh, the broadcasters, uh, on TV mentioned it a couple times. Uh, there were a couple times during the game when they did some sort of tribute to Ty Jordan and to Aaron Lowe. And apparently I, I, you know, I hope I'm not getting this wrong, but apparently each time they did, uh, some sort of tribute, in-game tribute to those two guys. Then Utah scored on yeah. the next play. Yeah, and I saw that. I, 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 I saw that. Did you hear that as well? Yes, yeah. I did. So you know that those, that's just one of those things. It's kind of it just seems like if it did happen or if it didn't happen, I'm going with it happened. I mean, it just kind of feels like that fits yeah. what, what was going on this evening. Um, 
right there at the end of the broadcast, they put the camera on the 22 that's over there by the tunnel. And mm-hmm. you, you got the parents of the two kids that are standing by the the 22 and that marker that forms the heart with their initials in it. And you got the retirement. And, Frank, I know you got kids that are college age. I got kids that are college age. And, you know, we send them out into that big world. And it, you put your whole life into raising them for 18 years and getting them going in the right direction. And I think about the pride that those families had when they sent their boys off to play college football. You know how difficult it is to get there, Frank. You know the work that Mm -hmm. goes into it. And those sweet boys, they worked their whole life hard in the weight room, hard on the field, hard in their community, hard in their classes with their grades. They, They put all that time and effort into it. And they had the reinforcement of good family right there, helping them along the way, grow into these young men that they had become. And then they go off to college and it's gone and it's over and it's done. And watching them stand by the numbers, Frank, uh, you know, I, I know that we've talked about this for a lot of years, but watching those parents stand by those numbers without those boys next to them is just overwhelmingly difficult. And that's why, it is so important as a university that you extend yourself to that family. And I can't imagine the University of Utah, to Utah could extend themselves anymore by flying the entire team out to both memorials, to retiring the number, the first retirement in the history of the university, to honoring them in so many different ways in a scholarship fund and flowers at the 22 and giving the 22%. And that this is why you do it because the loss is unbearable. And I watch those sweet parents standing there by that number. And I'm thinking to myself, Frank, what if it was your kid? What if it was my kid? Those sweet kids, man, you, you, you work so hard to get them to that point. And think about the work that goes into it. And, and I did love that Utah really answered the bell, but, Frank, it's just a kind of an overwhelming thought of, you know, you got these parents, but those young men not standing by them, but an amazing effort by Utah to, to do what they could to commemorate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just can't, I mean, I can't even imagine the, the difficulty of um, having to endure that as a family to, to, I mean, it's, 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 ah, man, it's just, it's the right thing for, for kids to go off to college and to grow up and to find their way and to find themselves. And, and, um, I just can't imagine how to manage that kind of tragedy of Mm -hmm. all the hopes and dreams and everything that were, that, kind of getting fulfilled and playing and being around a, a, a big group of guys that you love and teammates that you're going to have, you know, friendships that you're going to, that you're going to forge for the rest of your life. And, and then um, having it, having it in so suddenly. And so, so, so tragically, I, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, uh, I don't know how to fathom how I would deal with that. So, um, I think you're right. I think the university and the athletics department and the football program have, have 
have done a lot. And even with all that they've done, um, it's just, it's so difficult to think about that, that loss and how, how families get through it. It's just, yeah. it's overwhelming. Like you said, it is, it's overwhelming. And, and you know, the, when the time starts to pass and people stop calling and football is over, there's going to be some really difficult times for those families. And I hope that that's when this team, the players, the coaches, the administration continue to reach out and, and throw a phone call their way. Just say, Hey, how are things going? Just thinking about you and the family. You got to imagine that, you know, there's a hundred people on that roster and there's probably 30 some odd staff members with assistants and, and some of the front office guys. And then you throw in some administration, you got probably 150 people that at any given moment could just throw a call out to the family. Just say, hey, mm-hmm. just thinking about you. And Frank, the reason I say that is because I put myself in those family members' shoes and the only comfort I would have, because I was just at one of my, my oldest daughter had her last home college volleyball game this morning, and I had a chance to go out to it. And mm-hmm. the, o- the only thing I think I could find solace in, the only comfort I would find is to hear those voices of the people that were with her in, in, in the final year or those final moments that the people that worked out with her and practiced with her and coached her and, and helped her with enrollment and all of those things that would really be a gift to me as a parent to be able to have those people reach out to me and just say, Hey, Mr. Olson, thinking about you thinking about your daughter and thinking about how much we did this together. And it, it would only be just a couple minutes, but it would go a long way because it's going to get real quiet when the off season comes. And I, I just, I love, I love the tribute. I'll, I'll move on. I, I'm sorry. It's just, it, it was really impactful to me watching what Utah's done through all of this and, and seeing the family members on the sidelines and putting myself in the shoes. But, um, I hope that they continue to effort to include those families, those sweet families, bring them back to the program and make them a part of it. Um, just moving yeah. on. Yeah, uh, no, no question. Just moving on, Frank. So I want to talk a little bit about big picture. Now Utah gets mm-hmm. the win over UCLA and it puts them right back in the PAC 12 South driver's seat. I want you to talk a little bit about Utah's remaining schedule, Stanford, Arizona, both on the road, Oregon, Colorado, both at home. So you're in the driver's seat. You're controlling your, your South division. How you, you look at what they've got here in the near future. How do you feel they can navigate from here on out after seeing that performance against UCLA? Well, I, I think this was a huge hurdle. UCLA game was a huge hurdle and it happened at, you know, in the right setting for Utah at home, Utah's played well at home this year. So that was a good place to be. Um, And Utah managed a difficult, you know, having, having to come off of a difficult loss. And so they bounced back extremely well. I I think those are super positive things. And I, I mean, I don't know that, I, I don't know that you would say Utah played, you know, at their very best for four quarters, but this is a game where I think you could say they got as close as they've been this year to playing a full four quarters of football against a talented UCLA team, even without their starting quarterback. So very optimistic about, about this Utah football team. Now, 
Stanford next. I always feel like Stanford-Utah is a good matchup. Stanford style of play, Stanford, the way that Stanford recruits, the athleticism on both sides of the ball. I've, I've always felt like it's a good matchup for Utah. I feel that way again this year. But I just don't know which Stanford team is you're going to get. Uh, Stanford has had some really good wins this year, and they've had some stupid losses. I mean, it's just these dumb losses like every, that happened throughout the Pac-12, I guess. Um, and so I was, I was trying to find the, uh, recent Stanford tour. I know they were up on Washington. I don't know if that game has gone final yet, but, but, but I feel good about Utah traveling to Palo Alto and being able to manage that Stanford football team. Arizona is, uh, Arizona, they got beaten again tonight. They haven't won a game on the year. Uh, <laughs> they're bad. They're looking, they're, they're not very good. And, you know, it's just like an Arizona team to all of a sudden put together their best effort at some point in the season and get a win. So you can't overlook Arizona, but clearly that's a game that Utah should go and manage. And it's at, uh, like you said, it's at Arizona. And then, you know, the schedule works out again for for Utah really well because Oregon, uh, talented Oregon team, they beat uh, Colorado today. They, that, that's a, that's a game that I think is a very winnable game for Utah. Very winnable game. I think Oregon, uh, I think Brown at quarterback is good. I, I don't think he's outstanding. And, uh, and I think that, that uh, Utah can manage the Oregon, even though Oregon still sits in the top four in, in rushing offense in the conference. I still think that's a very manageable game for Oregon and they, for Utah and they get Oregon at home. So optimistic about that game. And then Colorado, you know, same, same as Arizona, Colorado's just, they're not a great football team this year should be like, I would put that as a win for Utah. So as I look across the next four games, it's very, I, I would say it's very reasonable for Utah to go and win out on those four games, like go four and zero the next four weeks. I think that's a very reasonable expectation of this football team, especially if Utah's playing at their best level that we've seen at, at, at times this year. Frank, I appreciate the call, buddy. Uh, thanks for the analysis, and um, we'll kick up a little bit more on this Utah post game show coming up here in just a bit, but we've got to hop over to the uh, Cougar post game yes, show. Sure. And, and Frank, <laughs> at this point, we will let you go and we will get ready for some madness. Thank you, Frank. Man, you got it, my man. It's always a pleasure. You go do your double duty tonight. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it. I appreciate your call, buddy. Uh, that's Frank right, Dolce. Best in the business right there. Uh, former Utah quarterback, a good friend of mine, obviously fantastic analyst, one of the best in the business. And uh, I, I really am just um, – I'm blessed to be able to do a little bit of uh, radio with him every single week. I, I, I enjoy every minute of it. Utah gets the win, 44-24 over UCLA. Fantastic win. Puts them in the driver's seat for the Pac-12 South, as Frank was talking about. And we'll see how things go from here. We'll take a quick one, and we are going to transition into your Cougar postgame show. Coming up next. Hunt, hunt. Another Cougar game is in the books. Hall will keep and Hall will 
score. Touchdown, BYU. Power in motion. It's out here. The cutback, and he's in. Two quick scores for BYU. Against the four-man rush. It's intercepted at the 35-yard line. And headed the other way down inside the 15 is Peyton Wilgard. Oh, look into the end zone. Has a man. Caught for a touchdown. Puka Nakua. And the Cougs threatening to run him out of the building. Right up the cut goes Armstrong. Touchdown, Virginia. Boy, did they need that drive. Huge answer, and it was behind the two guys. So they talk about what makes this offense go. Number 85, Grant Mitch, the tight end, leading the way. Wayne Talapapa pushing his way through. And then Brendan Armstrong, like lightning, firing through that hole for a touchdown. They've had this Virginia defense on their heels. Out, cheers, second and third effort. Touchdown, Cougars. Nobody could wrap him up. He's got his second rushing touchdown of the night. Armstrong, time on first down, and a man open inside the 20. The tight end, Woods, touchdown. A 40-yard quick strike for Virginia. And the pass deep across the middle. Dontavian Wick slicing his way through defenders in for the score. 70 yards as he blew through a couple of levels of Cougar defenders to the house. Devin Darrington out of the backfield. And into the secondary. Down inside the 10-yard line. Touchdown, Virginia. And another massive play as it goes 49 yards on his first touch of the night. Takes it to the house. Armstrong, elusive. And now he's got some room. Brennan Armstrong inside the 10, and he'll take it the distance. 30 yards on the scramble and score. Deep ball. Samson Nakua spins around to make the catch. Touchdown, BYU. 40 yards to the back shoulder, and the Cougars are back on top. Armstrong looking for more. To the end zone, touchdown. In just over a minute, they drive the length of the field to grab the lead back. Oh, we'll hand it off to Tyler Algier, and he's got space. Gets to the edge, inside the 30, breaking a tackle, and he will go to the house. 49 yards, and the score for Tyler Algier. Fourth and one. Where's 99? Armstrong looking for 99. He's got it. Touchdown, Virginia. Third down goal. Paul drops it off underneath. Touchdown. Neil Paul breaks the plane. BYU get a turnover right here. Still waiting for the official. was a fumble recovered by the defense. First down, BYU. A run it with Algier. He bounces to the outside. Inside the 15. Inside the 5. Reaching for the pylon. Touchdown, BYU. 31 yards for his fourth rushing touchdown of the night. Only three men rush this time. Armstrong intercepted. Picked off at the 35-yard line. His second INT. And it's Drew Jensen. They'll run it. Algier. Touchdown. Started your day with Kenneth Walker. Scoring five rushing TDs for Michigan State. End your night with Tyler Algier. The clock is at zero, and it's time to break down today's game. This is your Cougar postgame show, presented by JCW's and Tri-Day Trading on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Yeah, what you heard was not on a loop. Uh, That was actually play after play after play, I believe, in 
the 16th, this is my 16th season doing pre- and post-game shows for BYU in Utah, and I believe in my 16 seasons, that is the most highlights we have cut and played in a post-game. Jake, I got to imagine that's the most you've ever cut as a producer, right? It's up there if not. Yeah, it's 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 got to be right up there as the most highlights that I've ever heard in a post-game show, but... That was not a loop. That was just play after big play by Tyler Algier, by Jaron Hall, by the receivers. You know, you had Puka Nakua with 107 yards. You had Samson Nakua with 107 yards, each of them with a touchdown. This game, I don't even know. It's the weirdest thing. I felt like, and I don't know if this is a good explanation of it all, Jake, but I felt like as I'm watching this thing, my guts were on the outside of me. It was like I, I, I felt very uncomfortable about the game, the way it was going, the way both defenses were handling themselves, the the way the officiating crew was calling this game, um, the broadcasting booth, the the way that I didn't see the first three touchdowns because I was watching some game that nearly went to overtime and. Had, I know it had an undefeated team or maybe a one-loss team. I don't know. And the, the whole night was just, if if you weren't at the stadium, I know most people that are coming out of the stadium right now and are flipping on for a post game. You, you were there and you didn't have to deal with this, but it, other than the officiating and the bad defense, but it was just a long night of gut-churning calls and missed calls and big plays and horrible defense And then, and I'm going to say, and then, this came down to three things. Three things. Number one, there was a forced fumble. Uh, I think it was the beginning or right there, the beginning parts of the fourth quarter. There was a forced fumble that they were reviewing it, and I think they were trying to find a way to call that targeting. I I think that that's what they were looking at. But Fata came in and just lowered the boom on – oh, Leotala came in and just lowered the boom on – was it Wicks, I believe he hit? Um, no, it wasn't Wicks. It was um, – why can't – oh, it was Talapapa. That's right. And I don't know what the – officiating crew was looking at or what they were trying to evaluate. It felt like they were going after targeting or finding a way to get it back to Virginia, but they couldn't. And that led to a big turnover that BYU capitalized on the following possession. Two things happened. And it's the other two of the three moments that really changed the tide in this game. Number one, Brennan Armstrong came out of a scramble and pointed at his ribs, and you could tell there was an issue. He went back to the huddle, called the play, took the snap, looked very weird, kind of almost overly relaxed in the pocket, went to throw a pass, underthrew it, put it right into the hands of a BYU defender, and that was it. Game over. It was those three things that really put the exclamation on this. It was the fumble, the interception, and the broken ribs to Brennan Armstrong that that really stalled out, stopped that offense, stopped all that bleeding that was going on for the BYU defense. 
and gave BYU the win. Well, BYU earned the win with their offense. I, I don't even know what to say about BYU's defense, but as much negative as I can say about BYU's defense, that's how much positive I can say about their offense. Kalani Sataki is just about to address the media. He's just sitting down. We're going to carry that. Uh, we'll carry that sound for you live. But let's start with this. Hands Jaren real quick. Um, I, yeah, go so ahead. you're talking about that defensive outing for BYU. Let me just note this real quick. The first half for BYU, they gave up 280 yards passing, 168 yards rushing, and 42 points. The second half for BYU's defense, 98 passing yards, 48 rushing yards, and just seven points. What a turnaround. Yeah, big-time turnaround. And a lot of it came down to that. You, you had those two big turnovers, and you had that injury, and it stalled everything out. And and that was fantastic. That's exactly what that BYU defense needed to force some turnovers, to stall out the offense a little bit and get an extra couple of possessions and then capitalize on it. Use a little bit of the clock and, and get things rolling again offensively and get that Virginia offense off the field because it was blow for blow. You know, outside of the 21 to nothing start that BYU took into this game and then the way Virginia rolled on back. I mean, they came cruising back with 35 points in the second quarter. Let's jump out to the head co- head coach of BYU. Here's Kalani Sataki. Kalani, congratulations on the win. Uh, what was the difference? Give up 42 points in the first half, just seven in the second half. What was the difference? Well, the difference was Elisha to your team making adjustments in halftime. And uh, you know, our guys, it, it wasn't so much the scheme adjustments, it was just focus on fundamentals. I mean, uh, we, we did a couple things differently scheme-wise, but um, I think, uh, you know, it started off good. And um, it was just a little interesting because at the beginning of the game, there were no TV timeouts. So things are rolling really quickly. And so uh, I think our guys got a little fatigued and started to miss tackles when you get tired, start to forget your technique. And um, once we were able to kind of gather ourselves, I mean, the second quarter was was really harsh for me to see as a coach. And I know everybody was, you know, a little pissed off at that uh, second quarter. But halftime, the guys gained a composure. We talked about adjustments and we talked about utilizing uh, more personnel, more people on the field. That's what we, we do. We can keep our guys fresh, and uh, it just happens that our guys make some plays and we all get some turnovers in the second half and get a turnover on down on downs, and uh, that was a difference for us. And Our offense uh, stuck to it. We were aggressive. Uh, the game plan, I, I love it. I mean, <clears throat> when our offense get the ball that many times, I think we're going to do pretty good. So uh, I thought they took care of the football, and uh, the difference was the turnover on downs and, and – um, the turnovers all together. So, uh, but uh, credit to our players and credit to our coaching staff for making the adjustments on defense and uh, finding ways to, to get this win. I mean, that's the stat line doesn't really look that favorable, but uh, second half, I think we can, we can play uh, good sound football like we did in the second half. We'll be, we'll be fine for most of the games. You touched on this, Kalani, but how big was that fumble that Uriah caused and and then recovered, setting up the offense and able to make it a two-score game there early in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, credit to Virginia, they're they making a lot of plays. I mean, they, they, they're miss, making us miss tackles and they're uh, trying to keep things balanced. I know they're trying to, uh, you know, they're 
they're usually going to throw the ball, but uh, I think they're committed to trying to run the ball a little bit tonight. And uh, you know, we just had to make it really hard for them. I, I think they had, if you look at it in the first half, they had just those big plays, and we didn't make it difficult for them. And I, I think uh, it's like one missed tackle, and then it was a touchdown. And, um, you know, we got a little aggressive. We played a little man defense, and we tried some things and did some pressures, and uh, they, they bit us, you know. But uh, I just like our guys being aggressive and trying different things, but also making adjustments and uh, relying on our offense just clicking like that for us to play complimentary football, and that's what happened in the second half. Kalani, can you can you touch on uh, Jaron Hall's progression and evolution as a passer? He had career high in passing yards for you guys tonight. It, it just seems like he's getting more and more comfortable with the playbook and and with reading the defenses. Yeah, I, I think um, game time that just that just happens. You know, guys get more comfortable playing the game and more comfortable making adjustments and. and I mean, I'm, I'm going to make an excuse for Jaron. He's been banged up. You know, this is when he's fresh and he can go. He, he's he's a much different player. And, and um, you know, when, when we were in a position where he was banged up and, and Baylor wasn't cleared to go, we 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 had to protect him a little bit. And um, and then you know we relied on on Tyler to make some plays for us. But uh, our game is going to have to be focused on on the quarterbacks being able to 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 make plays for us. And and um, sometimes. Uh, just takes a little bit more experience, a little bit more time for those guys to, to progress. And um, I think I think A Rod's an, an amazing coach, and, and uh, more time with him and, and getting these young guys more opportunities to play. Uh, I think we can do some really good things. I mean, sixty six points isn't isn't too bad. As he as he's gained that experience, what's really stood out about how his command of the offense? I just think timing, like it's just he, he seems to know where to go with the ball, uh, no matter what the defense does. And, and defensively, um, Virginia did a lot of different things, you know, and, and uh, try to confuse him. And they brought some pressure also, and um, he made him pay. I, I think you, to have a quarterback that can can see things and and uh, can go through the progression in, 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 the, in the passing game, uh, that's that's hard to do. And these guys have done it, and I. I feel comfortable with all the quarterbacks doing that, but I'm just I'm happy to see Jaron make that move and and um, create some space with his legs too and and, and through. I thought he made good decisions. I I mean, it's a couple of times where he probably shouldn't have thrown the ball a couple of times, but uh, I mean, he, he we just, we trust him. So uh, just let's just see what what happens. I think he's getting better every week. So hopefully we can see him you know perform again and, and improve next week. Yeah, and then Mitch. Hey Bronco, or, I mean, hey Kalani. When we weren't talking about Bronco coming back, we were wondering if your your offense could was equipped to get in a shootout with with their offense. You you feel like uh, you guys answered that loud and clear tonight? Well, I mean, two defensive coaches don't really like shootouts, right? <laughs> and um, I think the first half wasn't what I wanted. The first quarter, yeah, but. Uh, the second quarter I didn't like, and it was just big plays on defense that were given up and some mistakes. But uh, I think the offense just had to be ready to have a shootout no matter what, and um, I'm glad they did. You know, um, I just uh, – defensively, we had a lot of guys that were banged up and weren't able to go, and that's just the game. But at the same time, we have to believe in our depth. And, and sometimes um, I think in the first half, 
we had guys playing tired when they should have just rested. And second half, uh, we utilized all our personnel. We, we rotated guys in there, kept them fresh. And that made the difference for us. Um, when, you, when, you're, when you're fresh and you can play. And, and it wasn't really the, the amount of plays. It was just back-to-back uh, -back and quick, quick scores by our offense. There's not a lot of rest time. And a lot of our guys play special teams. And, and we're not going to rotate on special teams. We need to rotate on defense. And we just had to lean on some second and third stringers. And, and uh, uh, you know, second stringers made, made, made some plays. I mean, look at the turnovers that Drew Jensen had. He seems to have a great uh, feel for the passing game and how to defend. And, um, you know, all our guys played really well. And just there's mistakes, but it was really one quarter that, that uh, I, I really wish we had back. Mitch, go ahead. Kalani, five touchdowns for, for Tyler Algier. What what makes him such a special player for you guys? He just he's tough, man, and and uh, he has a lot of speed. I think people misunderstand that they don't really realize that he's a big body, but he can run. He he can fly. So that's that's dangerous when he can get to the next level. And uh, he broke some tackles tonight and, and, and played hard. And he's a little sore. I, I said this before that. Um, we're going to need him to do that, you know, and, and um, uh, I think I think we have to be smart with him, but he's willing to, to, to dish out the punishment and find ways. And uh, it's just a matter of time before he finds an opening and then he finds a crease and turns it into a big, big play. You mentioned Drew Jensen, uh, Drew, uh, Alden Tofa, John Nelson, some guys that maybe are lesser known on this defense making big plays in the fourth quarter. How, how satisfying was that to see them rise the occasion and, and take on that, that role in that spot? That's great. I, I thought, um, and, that, and that's, that was the adjustment really. We, we had a great game plan. We just cannot play tired. And, and when you're going against tempo, we just need to rotate guys and, and we need to trust those guys to play. I mean, they made plays tonight, you know, so we, we talk about our depth and, uh, I, I know guys want to play as many plays as they can, but uh, I think it's important for them to trust the backups and, um, you know, to, to let them get in there and make plays. I, I was, I'm really proud of our guys and, and their belief in each other and their buy-in to what, uh, on defense, what Elisa Tuyaki was asking them to do, and then on offense, what A-Rod was doing, and, and obviously special teams with, with what Ed does there. So I, I have great coaches. They did a great job tonight. They performed well, and but, you know, we, we're going to work on some things and get better, but just really relishing the win right now, and we'll, we'll learn and get better next week. Kalani, what was your interaction like with Bronco and with the, the former BYU guys, your friends, some of these guys that you've known? What was that like before and after the game? Really good. I mean, uh, Bronco was awesome um, before and after the game, and um, – I know he has a lot of love and appreciation for this place. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy that, that the fans showed him the love and the, and the warm um, welcome that he deserves. And he's really proud of our fans. And that, I know it meant a lot to him. Uh, it meant a lot to me. And I know it means a lot to, to that staff. You know, those guys were, were welcomed. And, and it, was, it was a great game. Uh, I mean, defensive coaches don't really like this game, but – it felt like an old school BYU type of game. And, um, you know, that's, <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure that we play at our best and that uh, this, these type of explosiveness in, in, the, in the second quarter, I think that was where we gave up tons of points. Um, doesn't happen again, but 
I don't want it to overshadow the, the fact how happy I am, how they, how well they played the second half, how they bounced back, and also the, how consistent and, and really nice the, the way the the offense was working. I, I was really pleased with that. So, um, you know, it just felt really good. We, we we can win a lot of games if we do that. Well, along those lines, I wanted to ask about big picture, seven and two at this point, heading at the end of October. You have been dinged up and your depth has come through strong and you've been able to, to win seven games. What's it like to have the program at the point where you're able to rely on that like you have this year? Yeah, I mean, uh, we, we're really happy with the depth, but I, 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 I don't want to keep testing it. You know, I think the depth is good and, and let's just keep uh, getting better, but also getting some guys back. And, um, but, but just these guys believe in each other, man. They work hard for each other. And, and, uh, yeah, just, I just, I feel like we're developing really, really well as a program overall. And, um, we just keep focusing on, on, on all the little details, all that stuff adds up and, and will allow us to, to take bigger steps towards what we want to accomplish. And, um, Culturally, I'm really proud of our team. I, I love the players leading this group and and um, the buy-in. So we'll just keep working and try to keep things positive and and uh, learn as much as we can. I think feedback and criticism is really good for our guys, but uh, only if we learn from it. Okay, we'll do last two quick questions from Ron and then Ben. Kalani, usually we see Gunner um, and Puka as the deep threats tonight. Tonight we saw Samson get involved in the action a lot. What can you speak on about how big of a role he's played um, and how well he's been able to impact the offense since coming over from Utah? Well, Sam, Samson's, first of all, he's been a deep threat for us. He just hasn't been completely healthy. And this week he's been healthy. So, uh, you know, he's been banged up and you just never can tell from him from him because his, his appearance and his excitement, his energy is just is it's I don't know if anyone can match that, but it's it's amazing. But um, he's been banged up and, and, and uh, when he's healthy and ready to go and, and can play every down and, and start like he did tonight, man, he's dangerous. He's been doing that for years. And so it's good to see him get out there and play, but the energy, what I appreciate the most from him is the energy and the excitement that he has for his teammates when they make plays, um, regardless of which phase, it doesn't matter. Offense, defense, special teams. Uh, that guy burns a lot of calories because he's all over the place. He's talking to special teams. He's talking to the juice crew. He's sucking to everyone. And, um, you know, we need, we need to bottle up that energy because it's, it's amazing, but that guy has playmaking ability that matches his energy. And so it was nice to see those guys get out and play. Gunner, it was just a – we thought Gunner was going to go, but I, I think we we decided to be safe and, and, and make sure that he's got a, a bright future in football. We just need to make sure that, that we don't um, put him in, in harm's way. And so – and we felt – I mean, Keanu made some plays down downfield too. And, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of guys. I, I think Chris Jackson was ready to make some plays happen. He unfortunately, had a, a targeting call on him and, and – um, you know, but but the guys that we feel deep in a lot of different positions, um, that receiver position has been really, really good for us. And um, they have a really good coach, too. Kalani, I know you touched on it briefly, um, but I, I was wondering if you could get into more specifics. It seemed like in the first half, a lot of 40 front. Second half, we saw a little bit more 30 front. I believe the two turnovers, both the force fumble and uh, Drew, Jensen, INT, were both 30 front, drop eight. And then the turnover on downs was also drop eight. 
could you speak to uh, some of those specifics and in, in what happened in the second half? Yeah, uh, we, we weren't getting enough eyes on on uh, on the quarterback and uh you know, credit to Robert and I and, and, and the offense. They, they were doing some things that really make it difficult for man coverage. We thought we could match up man to man with them, and, and it worked early. And then when the guys got fatigued, uh, they're covering forever, you know, so the, they're getting a little tired and, and they're missing tackles. Um, they were there. Uh, coverage was breaking down. And then um, Armstrong was breaking, breaking the pocket and taking off. And when you're in man, you're basically covering your guy. You don't really see um, – you don't really see what's going on when the quarterback breaks the pocket, so you're, you're susceptible to big plays. Uh, we thought it would be okay if we can kind of match it and play better, but then they, they those big plays turn into big touchdowns. I mean, we had a, a pressure that was a zero pressure that they broke a tackle and scored a touchdown on. So um, drop eight won the game for us, and that was Elisa Tuyaki's idea. Uh, that wasn't really the game plan, but we were going to mix in some man drop eights. He did that in the second half, and Held them seven points, a really, really explosive offense of seven points. I think people need to respect him a little bit more now. There you go, Kalani Satake, right after this game goes final. BYU getting the win 66-49. to 49. You're hearing that score correctly. For those of you coming out of the stadium and headed back around the point of the mountain, headed back home wherever you're headed and you're listening to the post game, you're still thinking, what in the heck did I just watch? I, I don't know how to put it into words what you just watched, but it was 66 to 49. And we talked about the first, third, and fourth quarter for BYU's defense. Pretty good. You know, forcing turnovers in the fourth quarter, that was big. Uh, Brennan getting injured, their Virginia's quarterback, that was really big. Taking him out of the game and him throwing that interception with the injured ribs was really big. So, really, outside of that second quarter, not bad. I don't know how many times in my life I've seen 35 points put on a scoreboard in a, in a quarter, in a single quarter. It just doesn't happen very often. But Virginia put up 35 points in that second quarter. It was rapid fire. They came back. They took the lead. And it just left you sitting there scratching your head thinking, what in the heck am I watching? What, th- what exactly are my eyes seeing? How – how did I just watch five offensive possession possessions go for touchdowns in just under two minutes? It was some of the most insane football I've ever seen. And, you know, I think that there's credit to go around and I think there's blame to go around defensively. One thing to add to that hands is, so I did the math on that. So they scored those five touchdowns, totaled 201 total yards on all five of those touchdowns. It's an average of 40 yards per touchdown scored. Jeez, man, that has got to be some type of record, doesn't it? Like, it's the, not. It's not good. The numbers are just in, incredible to me. Uh, speaking of records and speaking of big names and things that we really got to have a discussion about. You know what? I'm going to hold on to it. We'll come right back to it. It's the Cougar Post Game Show. We're going to talk about this individual and what he just did tonight. That's all coming up next on your postgame show. Paul will hand it off to Tyler Algier, and he's got space, gets to the edge, inside the 30, breaking a tackle, and he will go to the house. 49 yards, and the score for Tyler Algier. 
We'll run it with Algier. He bounces to the outside. Inside the 15. Inside the 5. Reaching for the pylon. Touchdown, BYU. 31 yards for his fourth rushing touchdown of the night. Really hard to put into words what we just watched Tyler Algier do for BYU. One of the more spectacular performances in BYU running back history. I had an opportunity to play with some really good running backs in my time at BYU. Came in in 1996 with a little known name of Ronnie Jenkins. Marky Atawai was there. Brian McKenzie. Those three guys were there, I believe, in that 96 season. Played with Ronnie for the 96, 97, and I think 98 season. I think we lost him like partway through the 98 season, if I remember right. Ronnie's still one of the most fluid running backs I've ever played with. And I I played with Edron James when I was with the Indianapolis Colts. And um, I played with Dominic Rhodes, who was a really good running back with the Colts for a while. And Ronnie Jenkins was kind of right up there. In, in that world. Uh, and then it was crazy because we transitioned from Ronnie Jenkins into another little-known name, a guy that goes by the name Luke Staley. So Luke Staley came in my junior year, and I played two years with Luke. So I played with some really good BYU running back talent. And I've been on the – I've actually been texting back and forth, and, and Charlie, I'm, I'm going to say your name because I know you're out there listening. One of my old quarterbacks, he's texting me, and I've got three or four other teammates that I've been going back and forth with, and they're all telling me, Hans, be straight up with it. You know Tyler Algier is the best running back that we've ever seen at BYU. They want me to come straight with that, and – I'm not I'm not ready to because I watched Harvey Unga's career. I was there with Ronnie Jenkins. I was there with Luke Staley and I've seen uh guys you know, Harvey Unga is just underrated. You know, I know Curtis Brown never gets put into the conversation, but Curtis Brown was there in a really great transition period where Robert and I, I believe was was pulling the strings then. So I have seen a lot of great running backs come through. Um, Tyler Algier caught fire tonight. 29 carries, 266 yards, an average of 9.2 yards per carry for a record-tying five touchdowns. It was a special performance. There is no question about it. And what we're watching Tyler Algier do in just his short time at BYU is extremely impressive. I just don't know if I want to jump in on the recency bias. I don't know if I want to be the the grandiose statement guy. And I I just need to take a step back because I think that there were more pure form running backs. I think that there might have been better power backs and maybe better speed backs. But as two of my teammates, my old BYU teammates have said now to me on text, This is a compilation of all of those attributes into one body, and that is Tyler Algier. And it is extremely impressive what we just watched him do and what we're watching him do so far in this season. All right, let's jump out to the phone lines. One of our favorites and a a guy that has watched more BYU football than me and hasn't played more 
BYU football, but has watched more BYU football than me, and I think has a real reference point. Papa P. Papa P, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. I'm exhausted, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, how long has it been since BYU has scored over 65 points? <laughs> I mean, that's Jake Hatch. Jake, I don't know if you know that one, but that's got to go back a It's been a hot minute. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was, look, if you, you talked about how long you've been following the game. I was there when BYU and San Diego State ended up in a 52-52 tie. Okay. So, <laughs> I've seen a lot of points scored before. This was ridiculous. And my son is there going, let's score one more so we can open with three straight touchdowns and we can close with three straight touchdowns. Obviously, that didn't happen. But first of all, to your point, Algier, if he's not the best ever, uh, and before my time, Virgil Carter would be obviously a real candidate for being the best ever, many would say. But reality is, you know, total tip of the hat to Algier tonight. And, you know, just keep feeding him the ball. Uh, an amazing, an amazing career night for him. However, if BYU's defense doesn't cause three turnovers, which each lead to a touchdown, yeah. BYU loses that game. Yep. Okay. So the turnover in the first quarter and then the two turnovers there in the latter half of the game, that is what turned the game around and actually ended up winning the game step. So tip that to Bronco and to his team. Uh, clearly, uh, they're legit from the standpoint of being able to pass the ball, run the ball, amazing offense, uh, lots and lots of fun. Uh, BYU is on track for at least nine wins not counting the bowl season, I think we can knock off USC. But as the uh, football gods say, you play the game that's in front of you. So go Cougars and uh, go Cougar Nation. This is a really, really fun fun night tonight. So, Well, Papa P, drive safe. Appreciate the call as always. And uh, I, I think that you bring up a lot of great points there, man. It's it was great to see Bronco in that stadium again. It was great to see his staff. You know, those are a lot of guys that played at BYU. Kelly Popinga, um, Garrett Tuje, Robert and I, for crying out loud, part of that national championship team. Uh, Jason Beck, a fantastic backup quarterback for many years and has become a great coach. Marky Atawaya, uh, one of the backs that I mentioned that I got to play with back in 1996 BYU. So a lot of great former players and a lot of guys that had a huge impact on that university back in that stadium. And I, I do appreciate BYU fans and they're welcome. That's the right thing to do. They deserve it. And uh, that doesn't mean that Kalani should take it easy on him. And that definitely didn't mean that Aaron Roderick took it easy on him. You know, we, we, are praising Tyler Algier, deservedly so. Praising Jaron Hall, deservedly so. You go back and you watch the tempo. You watch the cleanliness of that offense. You watch how well-coached and well-positioned everybody is. From Fessy Sataki's wide receivers and his passing game coordinating to Funk and his offensive line having to replace two mainstays to the, the running backs with Harvey Unga. Of course, you know, he's the mentor right now for Tyler Algier. And I don't know if you could ask for a better one. Harvey Unga ground it out for years in the coaching circuit. 
working as a GA, working for free, working for basically pennies to get an opportunity. And he finally gets his opportunity. And look at what he's doing with it. Taking a, a former linebacker in Tyler Algier and turning him into one of BYU's best running backs, helping turn him in to one of BYU's best running backs. So, to, to also throw in Coach Clark, I don't, I don't want to forget him because he's doing a good job with his tight ends, but the offensive side of the ball under the calls of Aaron Roderick were impressive tonight. And Coach Roderick, fantastic tempo, fantastic calls. You mixed it up. You know, I put myself in the defensive shoes. First of all, Virginia was just spinning in circles, but I wouldn't have known what was up and what was down. With the way those calls were coming and how rapid fire those calls were coming, they were all over the board. I'm talking everything that you could have thrown at a defense, you threw at them. And when you're sitting there, and I, and I can show you in different film work, I'll show you what Bronco and all was doing. Bronco had seven in the box nearly at all times trying to stop Algier. Even when he had seven in the box, Algier was going for eight-yard bite-offs. They, they couldn't do anything. So Bronco's trying to shove that box full. He was playing a four downs, three set safety walked up. He was playing uh, almost an eight-man box the way he would rush somebody down into the box to try to force penetration and, and get that run stopped. They couldn't. And then as soon as you think, oh, here comes the run, Aaron Roderick could hit him with a deep ball. His calls were classy. And his his calls were unpredictable. And BYU fans, as you're driving, think about how many offensive coordinators you've had over the years where you're like, yeah, I know what's coming. Yep, I know what's coming. Yep, I know what's coming. Utah fans probably think the same. They, for years, you've known exactly what was coming, and you felt like it's bland. This offense is far from bland. It is far from bland. You know, I know I had some criticism with the Baylor game. I would have loved to seen that run game, that staple. I'd have loved to seen Tyler Algier with 29 carries in that game. Uh, I believe it was 15. Let me see if I can pull that up. Yeah. It was 15 attempts for 33 yards in that game against Baylor. Think about that. You just watched a guy go for 29 carries for 266 yards and five touchdowns, and against Baylor, it was 15 for 33. I get it, completely different front. But it was very impressive to watch what they did offensively against Virginia. So well done to that entire offensive staff. All right, we're going to transition now back into some Utah postgame. Kyle Whittingham. You'll hear from him next. Welcome back to your Utah and BYU postgame show. This is uh, unprecedented territory. We don't do this very often, but when you've got two games that run right next to each other and finish off at about midnight, you know, we're now into the one o'clock hour, and this is what we do. We just join forces. All of us come together. Jake Hatch, Hans Olsen, Frank Dolce, all coming together to bring you some BYU and Utah insight. The Pac-12 continued the way the Pac-12 has just been all year long. Just a lot of stupidity. Uh, all Things all over the place. Washington State beating Arizona State. Why? Yeah, well, because it doesn't make sense. That's why. Cal beating Oregon State 39-25. to Why? Well, because it doesn't make sense, and it's the Pac-12. 
That's why. Oregon State, after dominating Utah in the trench, Oregon State goes and loses to Cal. It's unimaginable. Oregon State, who could not be stopped in the ground game against Utah, was stopped for 130 yards against Cal. Somebody explain that to me. And then Oregon State, who's a very good rushing defense, gave up 255 yards to Cal on the ground. So somebody make sense of that to me. It just is unbelievable. 39-25 to 25 victory for Cal over Oregon State. And, of course, Washington goes out, beats Stanford just to muddy up the waters. Now Washington's at 4-4. Four and four. Stanford's at 3-5 and five in Utah's next opponent. But Utah getting a win against UCLA, I think that that is, right now, Utah is the one mainstay in the Pac-12. I, I know that they're just coming off that loss to Oregon State, but they've got them, their feet back under them. And a good 44-24 to 24 victory over UCLA. Two guys clicking. Cam Rising, the leader of that offense, and Tavian Thomas, the other leader of that offense. 24 carries, 160 yards. Average 6.7 yards per carry. And Tavian Thomas, I know we were talking about Algier and his five touchdowns. Tavian just went out against UCLA and got himself four. It was a very nice performance from Tavian. Here is the head coach for the University of Utah, Kyle Whittingham, talking about his team's performance against UCLA. Yeah, uh, key to the game is our ability to run the football. That was pretty cut and dried to me. Uh, they were tremendous against defending the run going in, I think 90-something yards, and we got 290. And so that was the key to the whole thing. Uh, Cam had another exceptional night, uh, Cam Rising. Um, took care of the football, three touchdown passes. Uh, like I said, no no uh, turnovers. Offensive line deserves a huge shout-out. You don't get 290 yards rushing without a lot of uh, movement going on up front, and our offensive line uh, rose to the occasion, rose to the challenge. Um, and then, like I said, Tavion was Tavion was outstanding, 160-plus yards and and uh, four touchdowns. Uh, just an outstanding night. So he's he's really turning into a, a workhorse for us and carried the ball 24 times. And and uh, that's a huge positive, uh, what he's doing uh, for our team. Um, defense played okay, not great. We still got things that we got to get better at on defense. Um, we were really good on third down, but we, we stunk on fourth down. So, I mean, the third down conver- conversion percentage is about 25%, but then they were seven to nine on fourth down. So that was a... That was an issue for us. We got them to got them to third down and won that, but but uh, lost too many uh, fourth downs. Um, but uh, you know, with with uh, you know, with Arizona State getting beat, it, it puts us in pretty good position. There's still a ton of football left. We all understand that, but but for the moment and for right now, uh, we're in a pretty good spot. We just got to continue to uh, get better as a football team, uh, week in and week out, and. Uh, get some of our guys back that we're missing that'll help us out as well but but uh good win for our guys tonight really good win Kyle you elected to go for for it on offense at the beginning of the game was there a decision in that way I mean usually you traditionally let your defense out on the field first yeah our offense is starting to gain more and more confidence in the offensive guys and and uh we're starting to control the line of scrimmage better and of course analytics come into it as well and uh, we did not go against any of the analytics. Uh, in fact, there was probably a couple that we, uh, that analytics said go, but but uh, just felt the, the better situation was to uh, 
to not go with that at that time. Now, we got a, some mileage out of Cam Rising with his quick kicks, which was a positive. He did a great job for us. I think both of them were inside the 10. And so that was uh, a good weapon for us. We didn't punt one time with our with our traditional uh, punt unit. It was two quick kicks, and, and that was it. Um, missed an easy field goal. We got we got to get better at place kicking. Uh, we're not uh, our percentage is not good enough this season. I think we're about sixty percent overall, which we need to be eighty percent plus. So we got work to do there as well. But is there anything about those quick kicks with Cam that maybe had to do with the struggles of the punt team recently as well? Yeah, a lot to do with that. Yeah, good observation. Yeah, you get you get two punts blocked and and uh, you're not don't have a lot of confidence and so if you have an opportunity where you can utilize a quick kick and and uh, you know especially Cam was a punter in high school he, he punted for his high school team and so he's got a good background in it and uh, you know we got the, the three wide receivers that we put out there and uh, as our gunners and and uh, like I said we we're able to. Uh, 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 pin the opponent inside the 10 yard line twice with that. Two for two. Uh, why Paul at center and Nick kicking outside? Because uh, Keaton Bills was not available. And it's one of those guys where we need to try to get back. But but I thought Paul Miley came in and did a really nice job. Had a couple errant snaps uh, that were a little bit tough to handle. But uh, other than that, he did a really nice job. And Nick Ford did a nice job at uh, left guard. He, when uh, Keaton went down, we felt our best combination was to bump Nick out and uh, put Paul in at center. Kyle, you, you uh, talked about how the, the run, run defense against Oregon State was soft. Uh, for, for you guys to hold them to 146 yards on the ground, do you feel that that was much improved? Very much improved, and and uh, they've been averaging uh, a lot more than that. And that's uh, Chip Kelly is a heck of an offensive coach, and and really his his basis for everything is the run game. That's where it starts for him, and uh, that was not enough. But I know he's not happy with that production, and because they usually do uh, a lot better job than that. And and uh, you know he's a guy that really can uh, put together a run game. He's tough to defend. You said your defense obviously wasn't perfect, but Devin Lloyd wasn't in there for that first half. How do you feel like the team managed without him on the field? thought they did a nice job, and that was our decision to, uh, we, when we win the toss, almost exclusively we defer but uh, we took the ball because we knew Devin you know that might give us one more series with Devin that we wouldn't have had and so uh, our offense promptly went right down the field in fact it was our first three drives I believe that we uh, we scored on in succession and uh, so that was the reason why we uh, didn't defer Uh, we took the ball and then we got Devin back in the second half he of course made plays like he always does the red zone stuff was talked a lot about last week. The mm-hmm. two turnovers on downs. Just you know, the ability to to go down the field four times and to give it to Tavion inside the ten. You know, just your thoughts on the red zone stuff tonight. Much improved, and we work hard on it all week. We work hard on it every week, but it was a, a particular point of emphasis this past week, and we wanted, we needed to be have more physicality down there. And I think you saw that tonight. That was our that was our objective, and that was uh, our philosophy going in is is uh, pound it, and we were able to do that. Yeah, Happy Halloween! Oh, you have one more. Okay. Um, what are the um, what are the difficulties now of, of going into a short week, knowing that you're playing on Friday? Yeah, it's uh, a short week uh, going to Stanford. Uh, you got a short week combined with uh, a road trip, but you know that's what the schedule says. So we never worry or complain about that. We just got to manage it, um, and we will manage it. And uh, Stanford's in the same boat, other than having not having to travel, but uh, we'll. Uh, We've got a blueprint for it and a protocol, and we'll just go to that. Okay, now happy Halloween. 
<laughs> Kyle Whittingham calling it Happy Halloween for the media there. Obviously, you can hear it in his voice. Uh, it, it's nice for him to get settled back into that Pac-12 South lead uh, right where he wants to be. That's a, a really big thing for him, and that's a big thing for this Utah team where they're sitting 5-3 and three on the season, and they came off this Oregon State loss and maybe down in the dumps a little bit. Well, now you tack a UCLA win on with an Arizona State win, a USC win, and a Washington State win. And you're sitting 4-1 and one in conference play, and you're staring down the barrel of a Stanford team that looked really terrible today against Washington, an Arizona team that's been horrible all year long, a Colorado team that maybe will fight with Arizona to be the worst team in the Pac-12. It's going to be that Oregon game that will be the separator for Utah. Utah needs to get healthy. You heard him talking about Bills. Bills needs to get healthy. That offensive line needs to get back to its continuity. And Tavian Thomas needs to be the guy. It's it's who they wanted him to be. It's who they're finding he is. And he's got to continue to be the guy. Cameron Rising's going to have to be dynamite too. But I think that those guys have it. I really do. When I watch them, and I'm watching this offensive line, I watch this offense function, I feel like they have it. They just have to continue to put it together. Great win by the University of Utah, 44-24 to over UCLA. We'll take a break, and we'll make another transition back. A little more Cougar postgame show for your drive home. That's coming up next. Welcome back to your Ute and Cougar postgame show, 97.5, 12 to the zone and the Zone Sports Network. Getting into that 115-120 range. I know that Jake starts to turn back into a pumpkin. Um, I start to shrink down into a mouse. We, we don't get a lot of time past 1 o'clock before things start getting a little bit weird. But I do want to let you hear from Tyler Algier, the BYU back that just went for 266 yards and five touchdowns in a, a spectacular performance for BYU. Here is that uh, BYU running back, Tyler Algier. Tyler, you're probably going to get some of the same questions you always get because you had another fantastic game. What's it like to have the team rely on you like they do to come out and have these monster games and kind of be that workhorse guy? Yeah, um, honestly, I don't really think of it like that. I just the whole line gets me to where to where I need to be, and literally just reading off them, they make me right, and I make them right. So, are you as exhausted as you were last week? Uh, <laughs> I'll say so. So, <laughs> uh, it's close. Yeah, it's close, but you know, I'm just get some treatment tomorrow and be ready for next week. Tyler, you had 74 rushing yards in the first half, um, and then you finished with 266, so you went for 192 in the second half. What did you feel like changing from the first half to the second half when things really started to open up on the run game? Uh, yeah, literally just keeping them honest. You know, we ran, a, we ran a lot of passes, a lot of runs, and, you know, just keeping them honest, you know, not stacking the box when we want to run. And then uh, when they stack the box, you know, we'll pass it. So, you know, literally just keeping them honest and um, – Literally opened a lot of things up. We'll do the last question from Sean. Tyler, I feel like I should ask you about one of your five touchdowns, but I want to ask you about a defensive play. How big was Lopa's fumble there that kind of preceded that that last one? Were literally so so big time. 
big time, you know. That, you know, they, they had a really good offense, you know. They were literally moving down the field so many times, especially. But I think they only stopped – they only scored once in the second half? No. How many times did he score in the second half? I know it, it cut tremendously between the first half and the second half. So, literally just them, the defense just making their changes, you know, doing their thing, really came in clutch, really came in clutch and let the offense have a lot of time on their hands. And we got the ball back. There you go, Tyler Algier in his spectacular performance. I also want to let you hear from BYU quarterback Jaron Hall. Here he is. Jaron, talk about what that game was like because it was a shootout, particularly in the first half. Yeah, just that, man. It was a track race. We knew from the beginning they had an explosive offense and the chances were it would be a shootout like that. And, you know, we were prepared, had a good game plan, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and just executed along the, along the way. Been talking to the other guys, and I wanted to ask you about how big that fumble recovery early in the fourth quarter was because it's a three-point game, and you get set up with great field position, able to make it a two-score game. How, how crucial of a moment was that for you guys? Oh, it's huge, man. Our defense played outstanding. Lights out the second half. Came out and did their thing. And, and that fumble alone right there <clears throat> gave us a short field, able to go up by two scores. That was, uh, that was a game changer. Jaron, uh, just looking at, at Tyler Algier and, and, and what he was able to accomplish for you guys on offense, 266 yards, career high, five touchdowns. He's, he's just been a workhorse for you guys over the last few games. How... how What's it like just watching him drag down tacklers, bust through holes like he does? It's crazy, man. <clears throat> see, you don't see that often in college football. The way the way he runs and the way he finishes runs, um, very few guys you know do that every year. You see, and those are guys that end up doing a lot at the next level. So that's that's the kind of dude Tyler is, and and you know he's de his development over four years has been insane. And I'm just happy to be here to to see him to see him do that, and now to play behind him and with him. It's it makes everything else in the offense so much smoother when him and the old line do their thing. So it's fun. So Mitch and then Matt. <clears throat> Aaron, what were your feelings and, and the team's feelings, for that matter, after that 21-0 uh, lead just evaporated? What was maybe the, uh, the the feelings amongst the team? It was expected. You know, we knew, again, knew they're good offense. We'd have to keep rolling, and that's what we did. So, you know, they got up and scored a couple touchdowns. They got the lead back, but it didn't, didn't deflate us at all. We just kept rolling, kept doing our thing and moving the ball. What changed maybe this week's game plan for the offense uh, compared to – um, you know, previous weeks, because this this output uh, is far, far, it's kind of an outlier compared to what you guys have had to this point in the season. Yeah, we just executed better. Same game plan, nothing's changed. <clears throat> you know, if you watch the film, same play, same guys. Uh, we just we just didn't hurt ourselves, you know, especially midfield after we moved the ball in the past. We've made a lot of silly mistakes, killed ourselves, and tonight it didn't do that. You know, we just put together a full game offensively and defensively, um, special teams, and, and that's the outcome. Good stuff by Jaron Hall. And um, obviously, you can hear the continuity between the two of them. And you know that Tyler Algier and Jaron Hall are on the same page. You can see it. Uh, also, Algier does so many things to help set a, a passing pocket. He is so good when it comes to setting that passing pocket and, and helping with those big offensive linemen to pick up some of those blocks. Yeah, it's a really unique offense that's running on the BYU side of things right now. And we will continue to break this offense down, but a huge night by Aaron Roderick and a huge night by that offensive staff. 
to Broncos defense uh, that's probably getting on an airplane and headed back to Virginia now, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of things they'll talk about, a lot of things that they'll fix. But they did bump into a buzzsaw. 66 points, that's a buzzsaw. You can't just look at a defense and say, oh, they just gave it to him. No, those defenses are out there trying to clog lanes. They're trying to make the tackles. BYU was fighting the tackles off. You just watch the way that front line moved that Virginia front line. Most of the time, the first hit that got uh, that came down on a running back was a linebacker, and it was an arm because he couldn't get the full body across the lineman to get his body on the running back to bring him down. So you had arm tackle attempts that were coming across the hole, trying to rake the ball, trying to get them to, to, to force the turnover. And this is kind of what I wanted to wrap on. I've been holding this as one of the biggest points of the night. When you look at a BYU game like this one, where you had 37 passing attempts, and you join that up with 46 rushing attempts, that gives you well over uh, let's see, that gives you well over 80 attempts. Well, I'm trying to do my math on this. 83 attempts. It gives you 83 plays that, that you've got out on the field. And you figure you've got 83 plays out on the field and 66 points, and there just wasn't a lot that Virginia could do to stop it. And that's very impressive to me. The the play calling, the execution, everything that BYU is doing offensively, very impressive. It is that second quarter by that BYU defense that really caused some problems. Those are the things that we'll focus on tomorrow in the morning after podcast. Those are the things we'll focus on when we open up the shows on Monday morning with DJ and PK, hand it over to Jake and Ben, into Scotty and I, and right on into Undisputed. Each one of these guys will have some comments about this game, how it was handled, how how many opportunities you had to run this ball, pass this ball, and here's the number. So, Jake, think about this. 80 some odd touches. Not a single turnover for BYU. It's pretty impressive. That is a huge number. 82, 83 offensive touches. I didn't throw in the special teams touches and not a single turnover. Now, on Virginia's side of things, they had two interceptions that were thrown. They had a fumble that was lost. And BYU was able to pick up a plus three margin in their turnover. It's um, really fun offense to watch and things that need to be cleaned up defensively. And I know that Ituyaki, he is very familiar with taking criticism for his defense. Nothing you can say is going to break his heart, cause him to not sleep tonight. Elias Ituyaki found some things that worked and found some players that wanted to work and started getting things to work. That's why you give up, you gave up seven points in the entire second half of that game. It was impressive to see some of the 
adjustments. In fact, in film review coming up tomorrow, as I start to put some film review together, I will show you what BYU is doing to get those stops in the second half of that game. Big thanks to Frank Dolce uh, for the University of Utah coverage. Utah getting the win in that game, 44-24. to Very dominating victory at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Big thanks to Jake Hatch back in studio, helping with all of the BYU ins, ins and outs. BYU getting the win, 66-49 to over Virginia. Big thanks to Megan for getting all the gear set up. Big thanks to JCWs and a big thank you out there to Tri-Day Trading for all they do for us in our post-game show and allow us to use their office space and take good care of us. And we do appreciate that. If you want to make a little extra money, check out Tri-Day Trading at TriDayTrading.com. You can become a day trader. For 10 bucks, you can jump in the market for 30 days, and you can see how it all works. That's tri-day trading. Big day of football. A big, fun day of football. Some jazz basketball mixed in as well. And don't forget, Utah Jazz back on the court tomorrow against the league leading, the Eastern Conference returning champs, Milwaukee Bucks. We'll have that game for you right here on 1280 The Zone, as well as much more coming up tomorrow. This has been your Cougar and your Ute postgame show here on 97.5 1280 The Zone on Sports Network.